Good morning and greetings in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It's another beautiful day indeed, a wonderful privilege to be able to continue with these teachings from the book of Revelation. We are looking this morning at chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, and then we'll go into chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. We're going to also look at two other churches, which is Thyatira and Sardis. All these churches were in Asia Minor during the time when John were given letters, seven letters to send to each one of these churches while he was at the time on the Isle of Patmos. Before I go into such teachings, let me just offer a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this day you have blessed us with. The day in which you have made, help us to rejoice and be glad in it and be thankful for all that you have done for us. And as we look at your word now, we pray that your Holy Spirit will direct our thoughts and our hearts and our minds as concerning Samuel, we will stand firm and faithful in our faith and upon the promises that you have given to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The fourth church was Thyatira. The fourth message was sent to this church, verses 18 to 29. And this church seemed to have had gained the victory over the doctrine or the teaching, in other words, of Balaam. You know, Balaam was a covetous man, as I mentioned before. He always used to look for fame and fortune, and anyone who would hire him, you know, to tell him what they wanted to hear and to know in future, he was a sort of false prophet, as it were, and um, one of these fortune teller men, it would seem like it was. So this church here had overcome such doctrine, such teaching, and also that of the Nicolaitans. You know, the Nicolaitans had a problem that, that existed between the priests, those pastors, the ministers, those who were in leadership positions, you know, they always wanted to be looked upon as somebody um, that is higher than everybody else in the congregation that they would minister to. And they would always want to be called pastor and teacher and sometimes father and bishop, that sort of thing, you know, as it were. And such was the problems of the Nicolaitans. But the Lord commended this church here for their works, charity, service, faith, patience, and works. And what they were currently doing, or they were doing at the same time presently, was more than they were doing at first. So you'll not hear works is mentioned here twice. So which means that they had started out and more or less escalated. So, the, um, you know, there was improvement, as it were. 
But however, the Lord rebuked them for allowing that woman Jezebel, who claimed to be a prophetess, to spread her erroneous or her teachings that were full of error among them. And it led some of them astray into fornication and idolatry. Just a note here, a word about Jezebel. This was not the Jezebel of the Old Testament, who was King Ahab's wife. She was the sort of person, it is said, according to history, she would paint herself, doll up herself, you know, for half of the day. From the time she rise in mornings and maybe she get cleaned up and then she would paint up herself for half of the day. And the next half of the day, she would go on the war path. And even when her husband Ahab tried to be funny with her, you know, she would just run him over, as it were, sort of thing. Move him out of the way. way. She used to rule the roost, as it were. And she was the sort of woman who had 800 false prophets. Those of the grooves, I think 400 of the grooves, and the others were of Baal. She was a worshiper of Baal, and Ahab had made a serious mistake when he married her because there were idolatrous people, idolatrous nation. And such was the woman Jezebel. So this woman in Thyatira, she wasn't Jezebel as such, but the spirit of Jezebel had filtered down through the ages and had possessed this woman and she would lead people astray especially the young Christians and maybe sometimes the grown-ups too as well, the adults, the older ones, she would lead them astray to commit fornication and idolatry and such like, you know. So she had possessed a spirit like that of Jezebel. Hence, she was called that woman Jezebel. The Lord told John that she will be cast into a bed along with those who sided with her, those who agreed with her, those who went along with her teachings and behavior. And you have some people in the church like that today. You see, if you don't agree with their behavior and teachings and lifestyle, you know, they get against you. And... However, she will be greatly afflicted with suffering and all her children will be put to death except they repent of their evil deeds. And all the churches around will know that the Lord sees the heart and he knows the motives of men. Of course, God sees our heart. Of course, he knows our desires. He knows exactly, you know, our thoughts, even before things are conceived within our thoughts and our hearts, our minds, God knows it. Then all the churches will know, look, well, God Almighty, you know, is a God who sees. His eyes, the Bible says, run to and fro throughout the whole world, beholding the good and the evil. It matters not where we go. It could be in the dark room where you develop your um, photographs and such like. Inside the dark room is very dark indeed. Even in there, God is able to see. Each person will be rewarded according to his works. 
those who have not followed the teaching of Jezebel will not suffer any other burden. And those who are fearful must hold on to what they have unto the Lord's second advent. In other words, that's the Lord's second coming, his return again a second time to this earth. The overcomers who keep the Lord's works according to verse 26 until the end will be given power over the nations. And these are the nations whom Christ will rule with a rod of iron and who will be dashed to shivers like a potter's vessel when it is broken. Psalm 2, or the second division of Psalm, verse 9, will show you this and speaks about it. He ruled the nations with a rod of iron. They will be shattered in small pieces. And this church is urged to listen to what the Spirit says to them. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. Hence, Thyatira was urged, they were encouraged to listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying. The other church is Sardis. This is the fifth church. And that is Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. You could read these chapters, you know, for yourself when you have time. So the fifth message was to the church in Sardis. And the church in Sardis was shining only on the light of its past brilliance. It was a very lively church, you know, was going places, but now it had a name and it was now dead. It was fruitless. The church at Sardis was about to be put into God's scale to be weighed in order to see how they were morally as well as spiritually, how they're behaving, that sort of thing. You know, how they're um, like behaving to each other as brother and sister, brother and brother and sister and sister, and even to those of the fellow men in the community. You know, we as Christians today, we have a grave responsibility to behave, not only to our one another, our brothers and sisters, but also to our neighbors. As Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is something very difficult for us as Christians to do, but you know, it is God's will and he give us what it takes, the grace and the power to do it so that our lives will bear witness to the Christ that called us from this dark world of sin. God held the seven spirits in one hand and the seven stars in the other hand. The holy character of the church was to be tested to see if it had come up to the heavenly calling. It is evident or it is clear that this church was once a vibrant church full of enthusiasm it had once lived up to the high and holy calling of God, full of life. People used to get saved, you know, commit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, would go and bear witness to the resurrected power of Christ, and things were going well for them, but now they had saw us slip back. The high and holy calling of God in a believer's life is a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the life of the Spirit lived in each child of God. 
that is in our speech, in our walk, in our behavior, in our attitude, in our motives, and our concept of the high and holy calling of God. The Holy Spirit was recognized and allowed his rightful place in the lives of the believers. But some things had gone really wrong with them, as it were. This church was seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers. It seemed as though the believers there had then traded or exchanged their heavenly calling for earthly things that had sold out and that sold the birthright, the rightful place, just like how Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of pottage to his brother. Jacob, he sold it. Jacob didn't steal it as some preachers would try to tell one or try to say it that Jacob stole from Esau. He didn't steal anything. Read Genesis chapter 25 and you'll see what is being mentioned or recorded there. They had forgotten the greatness or importance of their heavenly calling and holy character. It seemed that the church in Sardis was great in starting things, but was no good in finishing. The church had numerous or many programs, and no doubt it had started with much of a fanfare. That's a flourish of trumpets. Well, we have a lot of musicians today in church. The, um, the saxophones, the guitars, the drums, the organs, sometimes the pianos, you know, plenty of music, and they have worship service leaders and such like, and things seem to be so bright and lovely, but then, you know, if we don't keep close to the Lord and continue to read and study his word and live according to his word, you know, we could fall back easily. And it was decorated with a flurry ornaments, but none of them had come to anything worthwhile. It doesn't make sense, you know, we are decorating the church building and making it look beautiful, and then our lives are not beautiful. God expects us and he wants our lives to be beautiful, not the church building. And by the way, a lot of people seem to think that the church building is the church and they refer to it as that. But the church building is not the church. The church are people, us, who are called out of this world of darkness, this world of sin, saved and separated. And we go into the church building and we fellowship one with another, we worship God together, and we sing and we pray and we give God praise and we sit and we listen attentively to God's word, what he said to us. It is far better to start small and grow into something large than to begin with great plans and then see them all fail and come to nothing. What little that had remained at Sardis was in need of being strengthened. The church needed reformation, a change for the better. 
being restored to their former good state. Hence, they were called to a state of remembrance. Remember the height where you were. Remember where you've fallen from. And there was a threefold memory or recollection or remembrance. And the threefold memory was first, the church was called to remember its past. It seemed that this church had forgotten the first moving of God and had settled down. It had become complacent, or in other words, self-satisfied. It was pleased with itself. Sometimes, you know, when God blesses us and we get up in life and things are flourishing and going good, we seem to settle down after all and we take our ease. Um, I have arrived, but we have not arrived yet. God is not through with us yet. There's still work to be done. There's still much to be done. It is noticeable, noticeable these days when young believers are taught and trained up to the time of their baptism, subsequently or afterward, they're called off due to safe arrival. They think that they've arrived safe home. I haven't arrived safe home yet. They become satisfied with themselves and they think, well, no, we are now at home. It is time to relax and take it easy. But it's not time. You see, the church is commissioned to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples, Jesus said, of all nations. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And sometimes it's better for us to live the gospel sometimes, you know, even though we are commanded to preach it. So preaching it, we have to utter words, we have to say words, we have to tell people. So we have to use our voices, you know, in ministering and preaching the gospel. But sometimes our lives, you know, does preach to people too as well. It's not what we say at times always, but is how we live, what we do, speaks volumes. The drive and dynamic, that's the force, the energy of earlier years had been replaced with only a formal or regular ritualistic as the prescribed form of religious worship, traditionalistic, that which has been handed down by word of mouth from age to age. A religious doctrine not recorded in writing, but kept orally from one generation to another. Um, traditionalistic is sayings like you sometimes hear the old folks say, St. Paul said every man to his own liking. Tradition that is. St. Paul never said those things, and they think, you know, that it is a teaching of the Bible, but it is not. And sometimes you hear some people say, once a man, twice a child, or everybody say, I hear mom, I hear dad say, but it's not a religious teaching. And so therefore, we hand it down from one generation to another. Those things are not biblical stereotype form of activity or the same form of activity annually with no change. In other words, we do the same thing each week. So therefore, I could sit at home and I could just picture, you know, what is going on 
in church at this point in time, as I look at my clock or my watch, well, what they're doing even now, I could say the same thing we go on with each week, no change. Second, the church must recognize the present. The believers were called upon to hold fast and repent, do a self-examination and self-judgment. Remember how things were with them in prayer years. We must also examine ourselves and pass judgment on ourselves. And this is something, you know, I love doing, preaching to myself, talking to myself, judging myself, you know, asking God's forgiveness. And we need to do this here. If we judge ourselves, then we will not be judged. And it is good to do it to your own self. We must remember, repent, and keep God's laws so as to disarm his judgment or deprive or take away his judgment from ourselves. We don't want God's judgment to fall upon us because, you know, there's no one that is able to relieve us from God's judgment. We have to plead for his mercies, which goes beyond such, and his love goes beyond his wrath. He's still merciful. Third, the church was urged to get ready for the future. The Lord's coming upon this church is not the same as his second coming, but rather because it had nothing but an empty reputation. In other words, its good character and good name were now empty. The Lord warned the church to judge itself, or else he will come like a thief and break up its testimony. It is believed that where this church was in Western Asia Minor at the time, which is present-day Turkey, it was one of the brightest spots on earth for gospel witness, but today it is one of the darkest. How painful it seemingly sung. There was a call, however, to those who had remained faithful to the Lord. They were virtuous, in other words, the right, dutiful, and chaste in their Christian walk with the Lord. They had not bowed their knees to Baal nor kissed him. They did not compromise their faith in Jesus. They stood firm and resolute. They were determined, in other words, in their following of Christ. One have to be determined today in spite, you know, of situations that face us all, confronts us all, and, you know, we're not um, immune from problems and trials and testings and temptations and difficulties, you know, that will come upon us. We are not at all immune from those things. But God has promised to help us and to keep us and to give us what it takes, his grace, you know, and his power to live good God-fearing lives. And you had some of these um believers in the church here in Sardis who had not defiled or soiled their garments and made them dirty. When tempted to do something wrong, they would say, excuse me, I am a member of the royal family of heaven. God is my father. Jesus is my savior and the Holy Spirit is my comforter and guide. And the Lord's people are my companions. If I did what you suggest or said to me, 
I would bring this honor on the name I bear. That is the name of Jesus Christ, just like one Polycar, who was one of the early Christian fathers in many centuries ago, when he was challenged and he was urged and they tried to compel and force him to disown Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Polycarp said, no, I can't do it. He was in his mid to late 80s, 85, 86, somewhere around there. And he said he went with the Lord. He'd been with the Lord, serving the Lord Jesus Christ for these many years now, decades he was. And he said, I am a Christian, so therefore he couldn't disown Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Polycarp was one of the early martyrs. He stood his ground, and this is what we who are believers in Christ, we who are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim, you know, salvation to others, to men. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we must stand our ground, stand upon the promise of God's word. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So the remnant or those who were believers, the remainder at Sardis was a victorious remnant. The Lord closed with the words, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The church was also urged to listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying to them. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you as you listen to the teaching of God's word. Father, we give thanks for your word and we pray that everyone who will listen to these teachings pertaining to your word, Lord, will see the necessity, that need, which is so urgent for every one of us to surrender our will to your divine will because your love for us is beyond our human understanding. Father, we give glory and honor and praise and thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.